May God be glorified through First Christian. May his name be lifted up. We are so glad that you are here today. Uh, we want to welcome people that are here present in this space, those that are online listening. We just want to know that we are glad that you are here. I am trying to tell myself that last week was a good week. And it was a good week. Sometimes things don't go as planned. I mean, it, it was a good week. I mean, uh, just to give you a little window into the, into the office, uh, Amanda redid her office downstairs. It's been cleaned up. You need to go down there and check it out, see her space. In fact, there's a lot of great ministry opportunities. I know a number of you have been wanting to find just the right place for you to be involved so you can visit with folks after service today. So it was a good week. In fact, we welcomed back Sammy Pinner into the office. Sammy and Oscar, we've, we've missed them. Sammy and Jimmy gave birth uh, to Oscar over a month ago. And so this was uh, Sammy's first trip back. She brought Oscar with us, with her. So we have a new employee. Please don't tell CPS. I don't think he's on the payroll. But, you know, it's just not expected what Sammy had to face because our phone system was down on Monday and Tuesday. The internet was out. And we couldn't connect to our printer and copier. And so Sammy walks in the door and we're like, Sammy, you know, the printer will not work. Uh, the internet is not working and the phones don't work. And we promise it's not our fault. We didn't do anything wrong. But she could tell things have fallen apart while she has not been here. Sometimes things don't go as you plan. And let me, let me let you just know how minor these things are. I recognize what I'm saying, that these are so insignificant and minor. And you know why they are. I don't have to tell you that it's been a little less than a year ago when the Romero family was dealt a mighty blow with Shay, being diagnosed with leg cancer. That family has gone through gut-wrenching prayer and seeking God. And last week on Thursday, after this long stretch, Shay was pronounced cancer-free. <laughs> Party next weekend. I don't have to tell you about Lawrence Garcia, who two months ago, you know, things were going just fine on his plans. Middle-aged guy, and now he's facing kidney cancer and had surgery just last week. The kidney was removed. The doctor feels good about what was taken out, feels good even about it not being cancer on the liver. But they're in the middle of this, right? This is significant. The Romero family, the Garcia family. I, I don't even have to tell you about the Pendergrass family, who six months ago were a happily retired, active couple. And now are facing Marvin, one of our dear, beloved elders, out with brain cancer. This is significant stuff. This is heavy stuff for a teenager, for a retired person, for someone in middle age to go through. So whenever we say, you know, the week didn't go so well, or things didn't go as planned, recognize that there's a range of meanings of what that looks like. And we can honor that. We can accept that. Because these are situations where we know God cares about our story. And we know that he cares about the outcome. 
And all we can do is come together as Christians and call upon God in prayer and hold hands, telling God what we want, and then waiting. Waiting to see how God's going to show up. Because God does show up, usually in unexpected ways. Today we begin a series, a three-week series, on looking at discipleship directly from Jesus' ministry. What things can we learn from Jesus' ministry that will show us what it's like to walk as a disciple following Jesus? And I need your help. I need your help to get this started. In fact, I didn't need a microphone in first service. But as we seek to know what discipleship looks like from Jesus, I want to know from you, what is the gospel? And you can't use the word good news. Somebody tell me, what's the gospel? There we go, great commission. Jesus is the Christ, and the, the, the Son of God, and that we're called to go and bear witness to that. Somebody else, this is good. The truth. The gospel is the truth. Somebody else. There we go. Focus on the scripture. Life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, according to scripture. Anybody else? We have Jesus has saved us from our sins. He is our Passover lamb. We didn't need this microphone, did we? But what I want to do in talking about the gospel is a word that, that non-Christians don't use very frequently at all. And Christians use a lot. And so what I want to do today is take Jesus' own words and look at the gospel according to Jesus' words. Now, whenever, whenever we use that term, Christians use it a whole lot, very frequently, to refer to the story of Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection. We use it even to refer to the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is the story of Jesus' life. But I think a lot of times, as we use it, we say things like believe the gospel, obey the gospel, preach the gospel, respond to the gospel. Christians use it in such a way that we don't know what it means. Okay, well, well what is the gospel? And the way that I want to do it, as I mentioned, is to look at the words of Jesus, and I want to do that by, by quoting for you one of his sermons. Okay? From Mark. So after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus went up to Galilee and he began to speak and proclaim the good news of God that the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. That's it. That's the sermon. It's in one line. If we typed it up, it might be two lines. The time is now. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That's such a short, very small sermon. Here from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. So what do we do with that? How do we get the whole gospel 
out of what's just said in only a few seconds. Well, the reason that I want to spend time with this is that the gospel of the kingdom of God is the content of Jesus' teaching ministry. Everyone agrees that this is very important. This is a vibrant topic. But I think it's one that's not often spoken about, and it's sometimes not defined very well, even though it's so vibrant. In fact, if you were to look in the New Testament, you would find 66 times where the, the, the good news or the, 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 the kingdom of God is mentioned. And then if you stretch into Matthew, who uses the very same term but uses the word kingdom of heaven, you'd find it another 32 times. If you cast your eye into the Old Testament, it doesn't show up kingdom of God. It shows up as kingdom of Yahweh only once. But if we looked into the deep recesses of the Old Testament, we would find kingdom in reference to God over and over and over again. Like even in Psalm 145, the glory given to this eternal kingdom of God. But for us, we're Americans. We're from the United States of America. We're not so big on the whole kingdom thing. Kings, yeah, we had some. And we fought against them over this and that tax until finally after 150 years, 175 years, we threw the king out. No more kings. American Revolution, yay America. So what do we as Christians do when we come across kingdom? How do we make sense of kingdom? Well, let's, let's define it, okay? I mean, it, there's some things that are very obvious, but sometimes they have to be said. They have to be placed out there. A kingdom, a king, it's about the king's rule. It is the domain of the king's effective will. In fact, it's where what a king wants to be done is done. The king says it, it happens. So when Jesus talks about the good news of the kingdom of God, he is stepping into a very vast kingdom that's been in existence long before his arrival in human history to this eternal reign of God, where what God wants to be done is done. Again, when we talk about kingdoms, we, we tend to think about boundaries and borders and the people that are inside of those borders. But in the New Testament, it doesn't talk about it in terms of place, as in boundaries and borders and who's in and who's out. It talks about the kingdom of God as a happening, an event, an occurrence. Okay, so, kingdom of God, check. It's important. We got it. So what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to build a kingdom? Are we supposed to build a castle? The kingdom of God is important, so what? Well, believe it or not, even though we sometimes say it as Christians, this is not about building a kingdom. It's not about establishing a kingdom or extending the borders of the kingdom or expanding the kingdom in any way. God's kingdom simply is. We can't make it any bigger or any better. Proof of this shows up in the New Testament in terms of how the kingdom of God is spoken about. There's not 
description of the kingdom being built or extended or established or expanded. Instead, the primary way that the New Testament speaks about the kingdom of God and Jesus himself is about entering the kingdom, receiving the kingdom, inheriting the kingdom, right? Striving for the kingdom. Those are just a few of the ways that the kingdom is spoken about. Now, I know you probably noticed what's different about that, about those terms of entering and receiving and seeking than how we sometimes talk about kingdoms of building and expanding and extending. Can you tell the difference? The difference is we're not in control. This is not our kingdom. We come into God's kingdom as servants and as partners and as participants. This is God's work. As disciples, we've been given the secret of the kingdom of God, and we enter into it and receive it and let it take charge over our lives. We may still wrestle a bit with this term kingdom, but I want you to know that everyone that's here and all the humans that we would come in contact today have been given a kingdom. That's right, you have a kingdom. God has given you a kingdom. Even if you don't believe in God or are apathetic to God or discredit God in all regards, you have been given a kingdom. You have a range of your effective will, right? Where what you want done is done. And God has given you charge of your kingdom. In fact, if I were to come down and just uh, start uh, taking a look, oh, this looks nice, a little bag here. Uh, It's a phone, yeah, me and this phone. I have instantly intruded upon uh, Debbie's kingdom. If you want to know uh, what kingdom is, take somebody's phone. She's already sweating. Right? You have an area over which you have control, where what you want to be done is done. Okay? Now, the thing about your kingdom is that it only lasts as long as you do. So you can choose to live your king kingdom and your kingship or queenship completely separate from God and apart from God. You don't have to do anything attached to God. Right? The problem is that one day you will die. Your kingdom will come to an end. There's only so far that you can go in breathing life into your kingdom before it's taken away. And the reason that we deal with so much in the world in the way of evil is because people make choices not to live inside of the kingdom of God, but to live out the range of their own effective will with thought to no one else. They are focused on their lives and pleasing themselves. If you want to see an example of what it looks like to live in these two kingdoms, the television series that Albuquerque is famous for would be a good example. I've only seen a few episodes of this show, but most of you will know what I'm talking about. Breaking Bad. You have your own kingdom. You get faced with a disease, which is what happens to the main character. And that character doesn't want to overburden his family and begins making and selling crystal meth to pay for treatment. And the whole series is a, is a, a, a 
one decision after another, of making one bad choice after another, and what the consequences are for making those decisions. You can live out your kingdom. You can live and choose to be dis distinct from everyone else, and what will happen is your kingdom will only last as long as you, and it will end in destruction. Now, God has laid out before you something that's a little different. You see, God wants to go into partnership with you, and God is inviting you into the kingdom of God. He's inviting you to go into business with God. Now, it's God's kingdom, it's God's mission, it's God's purpose in the world, but he wants to bring you into it. This last week, uh, Donna was telling me about an ad that she'd seen where you could go on a trip to somewhere that you don't know where it will be. You pay a premium price, a very expensive ticket, and you fly off somewhere and you don't know where you're going to be. How many of you would sign up for a trip like this? Oh, yep. Would you go on your own? Okay, all by yourself. Sorry, Nancy. He's going to go on his own. Well, you, some of you might even have seen this same ad. The trip would be in a balloon ride, right? This weekend, a lot of focus on balloons. People will pay four or $500 per hour per person. And all that they know is they're going to get in a basket with some other people suspended below a balloon that's heated by fire, and they're going to go up. It sounds crazy, but we've seen it. We know how it works, right? But these are skilled people. But whenever you go up in that balloon, you don't know where you're going to land. It's a destination that's yet to be determined. And similar to the kingdom of God. You are relinquishing your time. You are relinquishing where you are headed. And it's very safe because when you choose to attach your kingdom to the kingdom of God, you're attaching yourself to eternity. God does things forever. And when you come into partnership with God, you go into that same business. You might, it might sound difficult to lay your kingdom down, but when you surrender your kingdom to God, you are headed in a good direction. If we go back to the ministry of Jesus for a second, and if we think about Jesus' own mission and ministry that immediately follows after John the Baptist, there's a phrase that really caught my attention before he preaches this sermon, and it's after John was arrested. Now, a lot of people followed John. A lot of people believed John's message, and they repented, and they confessed their sins, and they were baptized. And I wonder what they thought when John was arrested. Did they think, uh, I wonder if I'm on the right track here? Because whenever we begin to threaten the powers that be, the powers that be don't like it. So John not only was arrested, because he wasn't just some crazy person in the wilderness. He was on a mission from God, and people were threatened by him. He not only gets arrested, but he is beheaded. And this is the context into which Jesus' ministry begins, after John was arrested. You see, Jesus knows that his destiny would likely be exactly the same, right? 
clear in his mind. A voice out in the middle of nowhere proclaiming good news that threatens the political and religious powers that be. He's arrested and he is killed. Now, Jesus' focus and understanding about what would happen to him, his death, was not the focus of the message of his good news. Did you notice that? He didn't talk about forgiveness of sins in this place. He didn't talk about his death. He says the time is now. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe this good news. He is focused in on life, on inviting us into life and into partnership with him. And I think one thing that Christians do with our preaching of the gospel is very subtle, but it's worth pointing out. Sometimes we've missed out on this aspect of Jesus' communication of the gospel, the life aspect. We tell people that Jesus came to die. We tell Jesus that Jesus came to forgive you of your sins. Very important parts of the gospel. But if we look at Jesus' message of the gospel, he invited them into the kingdom of God. Sometimes, with our approach to discipleship, we think that it's just about getting people, getting something into them, where they'll be a good person. Maybe we get them to serve in some ways. Maybe we get communion into them. Maybe we get Bible and information into them. And we think of Christians as these passive containers that we're trying to get stuff into. Well, Jesus' message was a little bit different from that. He flips the container and says, I want you to come in to the reign of God. I want you to dwell and live there. I want you to die to yourself and find life, eternal life, inside of the reign and the rule of God. No longer passive, but invited in as active participants in the kingdom of God. I think it's probably only fair for me to confess to you, in all honesty, this week didn't seem like it was going well. There was a lot to do, a lot on my list, a lot that came to be on my list. And I couldn't figure out why I was not right, why it didn't seem like things were flowing as they should. And I realized late in the week that there were two days where my practice of prayer had been set aside. Now, I had prayed like normal, I'd prayed in, throughout the day, but the way that I started my day had been set aside because of all the things that I had to do, right? To accomplish good things in the kingdom of God. Now, I don't bring that up so that you'll think, oh, he's got some legalistic approach to prayer, you know, he's got some box that needs to be checked. That's not what I mean at all. I'm talking about the orientation of my heart and my eyes and my being towards God, toward an understanding that I am residing in the kingdom of God that sets the frame for my day. And when I realized that was skewed, that helped me realize what the problem was. All of us have the ability to tap into something that's far more powerful than our own plans and our own guidance for our lives. All the resources of the kingdom of God are available to you. 
if you will enter into the kingdom of God and simply receive them, inherit them as a gift. Disciples are these active agents who by their very being are showing what it looks like to live under the reign of God. To live with God being in charge and us being servants of God. Well, things do not always go as planned. Maybe that's okay. Because our plans and our intentions for ourselves come second to the plans of God. Well, we've learned this in big ways and small ways. How God can come in and shape us and change us. We've learned how disciples are these active agents in the kingdom of God. And sometimes we even learn it in simple ways. This was our very first weekend with the Balloon Festival. So we had our dear friends, the Coxes from Denver, to go down early in the morning to Balloon Park yesterday. Some of you are laughing. Was anybody else there with us? Aha, yes. Jason had warned us. You know, you may have to have a very expensive burrito (laughs) and not see all of the balloons ascend. Yesterday, they initially had the green flag, and then they called it off. Okay, so once I realized what life in the kingdom is like for me, and even some of the bumps that I've experienced personally this week, I noticed that our whole families, the Cox family and the Bryce family, we weren't all that worried that we didn't get to see all the balloons go off. We were focused on spending time together, of talking and visiting. In fact, the Coxes even found the one other person that they know in Albuquerque, out in Balloon Park. And we looked at the positive things of everything. Like, we got to spend the longest day of the year together, from 3.45 a.m. all the way till late last night. You see, when you live in the kingdom of God, Your plans are important because you're partnering with God, but you're inside of his work. And there are times when that is surrendered and you deal with what is immediately in front of you. And you're at peace. You're at peace because Jesus is standing on the shoulders of the prophets, like the prophet Isaiah, who talks about those with beautiful feet standing on the mountains, who come to announce peace to announce good news, to announce healing to the world, and the world needs to hear it, to announce how the world's plans are headed in a way of destruction, and to proclaim with a strong voice, our God reigns. Today, I don't know where you're at, whether it's been a big thing or a small thing that's affected you. I don't know whether it's been habit that's brought you here today or a significant life change. Our prayer team is going to be at the back. As you leave today, I want you to feel free to pray with them. In fact, I'm going to try to position myself over by this door today. Let's bow and offer ourselves to God. God, your kingdom knows no boundaries. We're so glad that you're not concerned with extending or expanding because you already are over all. We know that you're caring and concerned about us, that we will submit and come into your reign. Would you help us with that?
Would you help us to not be afraid that your reign over our lives is the best thing that will ever happen to us? May we, with our words and with our actions, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. May we proclaim the good news that we can enter the kingdom of God now. It's through Jesus we live and pray. Amen.